Welcome to Men Talk, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of miscarriage, infertility, infant loss, and stillbirth. Hosted by Daniel Landau, founder of menshelpline.org, we'll be sitting down every week with real guys to discuss their stories, struggles, and triumphs. So grab a drink, sit tight, and let's talk. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of the Men Talk podcast, where men talk about miscarriage, infant loss, stillbirth, and infertility. Today's guest is another exciting guest, a gentleman by the name of Kevin Bayer. Kevin, the floor is yours. Feel free to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit where you're from, what you're up to in life, and uh, your journey, and we'll go from there. All right. Uh, Kevin Bayer. I'm from Fremont, Ohio, a very small town, about a half hour away from Cedar Point, which is a big amusement park that a lot of people know of. Um, right now, my wife and I have actually got the transfer to work on our second round of IVF. Uh, she's about to be 10 weeks pregnant with twins here towards the end of the week. Um, kind of has been struggling for about five, six years now with the whole infertility journey and like to try to help out anybody else that's going through the same situation that I have been. Wow. So that's exciting that she's 10 weeks pregnant. You were, you were good on your second round. What, yeah, what, we, was, what was that like for you? I mean, going from a first round to a second round, getting pregnant on a second shot, like was there, was there a lot of hope in the first round, even though it didn't work. And then you went to the second round. What? Yeah. What? Um, kind of, so shortly after we got, we got married in 2015, shortly after that, she was diagnosed with PCOS and, um, and we tried for about a year, two years to conceive naturally before we then got a recommended for um, a consult with the IVF doctor. And I did not like the fact that we had to do IVF with the costs associated. So then we did three, we actually got a second opinion and did three IUIs, which that doctor made it like, wing bam boom you're gonna be pregnant no issues so that didn't work and then we kind of waited for another year then did IVF and um first one very hopeful like yep this is gonna work then you know very sad and worst part about it is after the first transfer my brother had just had a baby and we found out the day we were scheduled to go down he lives about two hours south of me the day we were scheduled to go down is when she found out the first one didn't work. So I mean, a new baby real hard on everybody. And then uh, we just then did the second and they actually put two eggs in. They were both tested and luckily that's worked out so far. Very scary. There's been, you know, the bleeding and everything and just hoping everything goes smooth. It's interesting. You say that, uh, the doctor said, big bang, boom, you know, after an IUI, people look at the statistics, it's 15 to 35% chance of an IUI actually working. So the fact that he said, big bang, boom, probably wasn't so sensitive him. Oh yeah, you can get pregnant after an IUI. I mean, obviously, I guess they like it because it's a cheaper method than IVF, but still that, that hope and that feeling there must've been quite not a nice experience. The fact that it didn't work the first time. Yeah. And the worst part is, where we're located, there's no really close clinic. 
the one that we're going to now that originally told us IVF was the route is about an hour away from us. And the next closest was two hours. And that's the one we got the second opinion from that said, IUIs, no issues. So not only were we driving two hours each way, we also then, and they had wanted you there at like six o'clock in the morning for everything. So it was taking time off work, getting hotels and making it like IUIs were going to be the route to go. And he, he even said, no issues. You should be pregnant. And then after the third failure, that's when he's like, well, you know, we probably should send talk IVF. And I'm like, I'm going back to the doctor that's closer to us then. I can imagine. I mean, wow. That's devotion. Traveling over an hour, two hours to get treatment, to get seen. I mean, that that's that's intense. Talk yeah. to me talk to me a little bit. What what was that drive like for you going back and forth? Did you have really good conversations? Like what did you talk about on the way? I'm sure there was a lot on your mind going into doing IUIs, seeing doctors, the IVF. What were the conversations? The IUIs with that far, um, there was a lot of silence because I think neither one of us really knew what to say, especially because being that far, what they did for us was they only, I know a lot of times they say they do two transfers or whatever you want to call it. But with us being that far, they only did one of them and then would tell us, oh, go home and have sex the next day. What? Yep. I guess they normally, they said that they normally did two, but with us being that far, they would only pump the one in or however you want to, I'm not even quite sure how it all works with that, but they did the one transfer and then go home and have sex. And one thing that we learned too is they always had her purchase the trigger shot there. And with some research she's done is was supposed to have it a couple or like 24 hours in advance. I think it was. So interesting doctors these days, they tell you one thing, it's a whole nother process, a whole nother completion. I mean, who can we, who, who can you trust? I mean, every doctor. Yeah, and that's has- one thing I've seen in that IVF page on Facebook. There is every doctor's telling people everything a little bit different. It seems like. And so you said, you don't know what to believe. And- what do you believe? When going through IVF or IUI, what are the things that you believe? I think it could work. And I mean, now we're a testament that you can have success. IUIs, I don't know if I would recommend if somebody else was in my shoes. Other than it's cheaper and it could work. But I've everything I've seen, like you mentioned, it's you know like 10 to 15% that you're going to actually succeed. Where I know with IVF, they're, from what the doctor told us, it's 70 Five percent, roughly, with the genetically tested. Do you think that the doctors and the way they're approaching it? Oh, everybody should do an IUI first. It's just because it's cheaper. It's it's a shortcut. It's easier for them, and they're not necessarily thinking about you guys as the patient. I I kind of think that a lot of the people are thinking, "Hey, yeah, it's cheaper," and I know there's a whole lot of less pressure going into it because i remember there wasn't all the shots and every all the the whole pharmacy of medicine sitting out on the table waiting to be taken every morning i think that's why a lot of them push it is just the cost effectiveness and 
yeah, you know, might be one in a hundred get it done, but it, that might work. Do you think though the pressure? There's more or less pressure with an IUI than IVF because I I never went really through an IUI, but I've heard stories of couples going through an IUI and it's like, okay, we got to do this at a certain time and bring a sample, do a sample. Like, is the pressure the same for you doing an IUI versus IVF? I th- I honestly think the IVF was more pressure, just from the simple factor of. The, you know, you got a lot more expensive medicine and everything. As I remember the one shot might've been the trigger shot was three, four grand for her to purchase. Oh my gosh. And that, you know, and that, that was right before the retrieval and just a lot of medicine. And I mean, granted, we don't have to take things as much of a strict thing where like the trigger shot for the IUI was supposed to be. 24 hours in advance it's not as pressure there i think there's just more pressure because a lot of people take the iuis first and when those don't work then if the first like in our case the first ivf transfer didn't take and so then i think we kind of put more pressure on ourselves for the second and well hopefully we don't have to i don't know if we're going to do more after the success or not but you know the pressure there if they don't work what were you feeling after the first one didn't work? Like how, how did you, how did you go into the second round being optimistic, being positive? What were your emotions and how did you deal with that? I dealt with it. I was very upset with, because we found it was a Friday afternoon. We found out they called her right before the clinic closed saying, Hey, you failed or, you know, not pregnant and literally we drove two and a half hours to my brother's town and to meet his son the next day brand mm. max i think was about a month no no two three weeks old at the time and you know meeting a brand new baby when you just found out yours failed and driving that far was real tough on both of us it's I try to keep it together the best I could just to be strong for her because I knew she was hurting real bad. And then to meet the baby the next day, I could tell it was tearing her up inside, but it was one bad, bad situation that you kind of can't pump that off meeting him and taking it out on anybody else because you didn't succeed. But I just tried to be very positive going into the second one. The first one, we, didn't tell anybody when we were doing any of it we were trying to be actually have like a normal pregnancy then hopefully where you could hey we're pregnant whereas with the second one we let all of our family and all of our friends pretty much knew we were going doing it that day and i tried to take a different route to the clinic uh different music in the car ride just try to completely change anything we did the first time to go into the second one because I'm very superstitious. I hear. Did you, you know, changing, changing the roots and things like that. Is that because it was a trigger for you or, or was it just more the superstition? More superstition, just trying, trying different things. I grew up playing baseball and it's a sport where 
everybody seems to be superstitious. If you on a hot streak, you do everything the exact same way. And that's kind of how I wanted to do it this time. I said the first time it didn't work, but not be surprising people this time. Let's, you know, the worst case is people are praying for you then and praying that you have the luck and everybody knows that you're doing it. And so you might have more, more luck on your side and the route. There's a couple ways to the clinic and we took the different way. Might've been a little bit longer, but I know we changed up the music. We changed, we changed up where we ate on the way home and just trying to completely swip swap the way we did it. Just hoping for luck. That That's a good way to do it. You mentioned that you grew up playing baseball. At any point during the process, did you say, you know, switch it up, play more baseball, take take your mind off of this? No, we, I haven't been playing in a few years, but I did try to do whatever I could to help keep her mind off of it because I know she was very anxious going into everything. And I've just tried to help out more around the house and whatever I can do to make life easier for her to keep her mind off all the other stuff that she has to do and she can focus on herself more. What did you do to keep her mind off of it? What, what type of activities? Uh, we're, we have a camper. We go camping in the summer and the spring and fall. And we went camping a couple of times, but a lot of, let's just get out of the house. Let's not be sitting here watching TV all night. You know, we're, that's all you do is think about what's going on. Just try to keep her occupied doing things and just not sitting around. Basically it's the easiest way to put it. Probably camping is a good outlet and, and definitely getting on the road, seeing new scenery, taking hikes, nature definitely helped. Then sitting by a fire definitely helps keep your mind off things. Oh yes. (laughs) I hope you toasted some nice marshmallows. Yep. <laughs> what um during the process did you did you were you the one who gave her the shots? Yes, and still I'm given the progesterone shots every morning. And how does that feel for you? I mean, is that making you excited? Okay, I'm 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 part of the process. It's a challenge. You know, it's painful for her. Painful for me. Like what? It, it's painful for everybody. <laughs> I don't have any, she's, luckily she's a nurse and kind of has an idea of what I need to do, but I know the first one, I'm not good with blood or needles really. And I know with the blood thinners, there's times that when I pull that needle out, she's bleeding a little bit. It's, it's a process, but it's makes me feel good that I'm there and it's helped me out a lot. Um, back a few months, I did lose my job. And I've been able to take her to her appointments in the mornings and been able to be at every ultrasound. So it's been a big positive for me just as I'm part of the process and I can be at everything. I can be there if she, like the one morning she had some bleeding when she was leaving work and was very scared. So we went to the emergency room and if I would have been working, I wouldn't have been able to take her and it's, made me feel good that I can be there every step of the way with her and kind of hold her hand if need be. So I give you a lot of credit for that because a lot of men out there aren't doing that. They aren't necessarily giving 
their spouse is the shot. They're not going to all the ultrasounds, the, all the appointments because they just that, want to take their mind off, keep working. You know, we're strong. We got to keep, keep working hard. Um, but that's definitely, I'm sure it made your relationship much stronger by doing that. And yep. definitely through the process, it, it helps. So to all the men out there, take here to this advice. If you can clear your schedules and go to the appointments, give the, give your spouse the shots, be part of the process, be present, you know, enjoy the wave. There will be ups and there will be downs, but ultimately it's, it's, it's worth it at the end game. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely worth it. And I, I mean, I'm starting to get more comfortable with the needles and giving her the shots. I know every single spot around the area is hurt, but it's, Hopefully we only have a couple more weeks of doing them. And that's why I keep telling her like, Hey, only, you know, only two more weeks of it. Hopefully you're just trying to make a joke of it to lighten the mood a little bit on, because I know it's a very ser- serious and I can tell that some days when I stick the needle in that she didn't enjoy that. There's a little, <laughs> you know, the little squirm and you tell it hurts for her. And yet, and yet we take for granted every day, you know, getting, our blood drum, we need to get our blood drum, go to the doctor and, and they're yet they're doing their blood work every other day, every day. Ultrasounds. I mean, it, it, it's pretty invasive. <laughs> I yeah. can't imagine yeah. what it'd be like yeah, on our of, side if we had to do it. The amount of appointments and everything that she had to go through and the fact that all we had to do was make a deposit basically and our part's done. Whereas their shots and blood draws and appointments and people staring at their lady parts all the time and <laughs> yeah and then and then our part you know when we're when we're dealing with that um we have to do it but at least we have a, a room to do it but that room yeah. man, it, i'm sure it's, it's not pleasant for many people no and just can't think of the amount of people that have probably been in there doing the exact same thing that we are what advice would you tell other guys going into that room? Don't think about what, what you're doing, really. Just try to go in there and do what you got to do. I know between the three IUIs I had to do that for and then the two other or the, for the transfer there, I mean, it's a awkward situation. Everybody knows what you're there to do. Just kind of go in, do your job, and be out is how I try to try not to think about it too hard. Touche. Get in and get out. Yep. That room, though, I mean, it's it's for some guys walking down that path, going into the room, you know, while your spouse is in the procedure. I mean, I would rather be in the procedure room supporting her than, you know, in that room. I mean, it's just... It's just crazy how we can't even go in the room when they're when they're in the, at the retrieval. I mean, I get it; it's it's for sanitary reasons. But if someone, if a spouse can be in the room when when a person is having a C-section to deliver a baby, why can't they be in the room when you're having a retrieval? You can be in for the for for the transfer. And yeah, the that's part and that's the thing when um, I can't think of the the procedure that they do before they do the transfer i can't think of the name of it where they're checking the lining and everything um 
she did two or three of those and I wasn't even allowed in the building for them. And how did that make you feel? Helpless, really. And I mean, I'm sitting out in the parking lot waiting for them to call saying, Hey, she is, I believe they punt her out. Yeah. They, she was out, out for those. So I felt very helpless knowing that my wife's in there going through procedure where she's in, pun out and I'm not even in the building if anything happens you think that that's going to change I mean now that COVID is hopefully subsiding you think that you're going to be allowed back in the room I hope so I hope that for the future people going through it that you at least could be in the waiting room or you know something so if anything happens you're not running into the building yeah for sure I remember during, during during our procedure they essentially told me because it was during COVID, oh, you can't hang out in the waiting area. Like I used to be able to, oh, do my thing. She'd go on her, do her thing with the retrieval and I'd be chilling, you know, in, in the post-op area. But during COVID, they were like, you can't be here, you know, go do your thing and get lost. And you know, well, she'll call you when she's in recovery. I was just like, that doesn't make any sense. How could the policy all of a sudden change? Yeah, when we did our retrieval, I did my part, and they never told me what to do afterwards. So I went back, and I sat in the waiting room, and then they pulled me in, or I went back and sat with her as she was waking up. So it's like, well, why couldn't I have been back here the whole time? Because, I mean, I don't know how it is where you're at, but they made me mask up and everything for the whole everything I've been through there. Oh, yeah. And I imagine, you know, the transfer the transfer actually is probably one of the most fun parts because you see, you know, on the screen, a little dot. And I'm just like, Hey, this is cool. You know, like everything you've yeah. been through, you know, but you never know what happens with that dot and to, to see what happens. But there and, are, I mean, like you mentioned, you're in, I was in the room for that. They, they had me wear my mask and I think they had me put on a gown. Yes. The gown, the but, famous gown. Did you snap a yeah. photo? Uh, there's a couple, I think we, the first one we took, they gave us a picture of the embryo, like zoomed in and we took a photo with that as she was laying there when we were done. And then the second one, we, I think we just took a picture of me and her, but it, yeah, it's, if you can be in there with the gown and the, the, you know, the mask, why can't you be in there for everything? I would hope that that'll, that'll change in the future and that they'll allow us, but I get it. It's sanitary reasons. They want to make sure that everything goes appropriate. There's no risk of infection as it is, you know, procedures going under for a whole thing. I mean, science is great, but who knows? Maybe they'll allow you in via camera. Technology is changing. Yeah. What advice would you give to all the guys out there who have have gone through IVF, IUIs, miscarriages, I mean, what what would be your advice? What would be your top pieces of advice? My top piece of advice would just to do whatever you can to be there and support your wife or your partner or, you know, whoever it is going through it. Even if it's a family member with miscarriage, just be there for them. Whether, I mean, you don't have to do a whole lot, but just try to help out, keep their mind off of things and, you know, if they want to cry, hold them. Don't need to say anything. Just be there for them. That's really good advice because the more you are there for for your significant other, 
the closer you can get, the more conversations you can have, and you can open up with one another about the process. Too many men suffer in silence when going through this. Mm-hmm. You have to remember the statistics out there. One in four pregnancies end in a miscarriage. One in eight couples struggle with infertility. One in 160 births end in a stillbirth. And one in a thousand babies die of, of SIDS. So the fact is, you're not alone. The person to your left could have gone through it. The person to your right could have gone through it. So the more you talk about it, the better you will be, the better you will feel. If you have to cry about it, cry about it. You know, there's nothing to be ashamed of or embarrassed about it. You are not alone. Not at all. So, yeah, I, I, I appreciate you taking the time, Kevin. This was a lot of fun. No, I appreciate it, Daniel. And, uh, to all the men listening out there, you know, if, if you're out in, in, in Florida and you're going through this, I'm sure Kevin will be more than happy to speak with you and, and to be in touch about the process and the journey because we have to remember we are strong, but we should not suffer in silence. You've just listened to another great episode of Men Talk with Daniel Landau. If you've suffered from miscarriage, infertility, stillbirth, or infant loss and want to open up about it, reach out. We'd love to have you on the show. You can also join our Facebook group, or if you'd like to get involved and start a chapter in your neighborhood, visit our website, www.menshelpline.org today. Until next week, stay strong, and remember, you're not alone.